Welcome to The Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin, and my guest today is Nick Proutin, the COO at a company called Load. Now, today we spent this discussion discussing the future of daily transactions, and I got Nick's forecast on what that's going to look like, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. And one thing he's predicting is inevitably we end up in some kind of a tokenized wealth scenario. Now, what that means is that right now I may have equity in my home, uh, gold in a safe, cash in an account, securities in the market, and all that is fairly fragmented. But if we were to tokenize all of our wealth, then the equity value of my house, the value of the gold in my safe, the cash in my account, the securities in the market could all be amalgamated into one pile that I could then spend if I wanted to or borrow against if I chose to. So it would really simplify and streamline the process of utilizing our wealth. I think there's pros and cons to this, by the way, but this is the basis of my discussion with Nick today. So I hope you enjoy this. Here's Nick Proughton. And before we get into it, as always, I publish a weekly newsletter. It comes out every Sunday. It's free. I share my biggest takeaways from conversations just like this and plenty others, and I absolutely love writing it, and I'd love to have you join the team. Hit that link below if you want to subscribe. Here's Nick Proughton. Enjoy. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Jay Martin Show. I'm joined right now by Nick Proughton, the COO at Load, and we're going to get into what Load does. But first, Nick, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on today. Jay, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited. There's a handful of directions that I want to go. Uh, where we'll start, I think, is um, pre pre recording here, uh, and my team sent over some questions for you, and you mentioned that. One thing you're watching right now is the media downplaying, correct me if I botched this, the seriousness of the incoming recession and failing to inform consumers, individuals, and what might occur in their life. Is that the case? And why, why, why do you see things that way? Because I see a lot of doom and gloom headlines. So I'm wondering what you're seeing that's different. Yeah, certainly. Um, it depends on where you're looking at your headlines. Certainly, there are um, there are media outlets that are, are being um, provocateurs or um, saying um, doom and gloom. Uh, and in that respect, you know, that that is accurate reporting. But there I think what I see as media is coming from what we would consider our most trusted sources or from, you know, the the mouth of, you know, governments in many circumstances that are kind of uh, saying these things where it's like we have it under control. You know, uh, we have a strategy for this. And anybody, I think you, people like you and me, retail investors at large, we're standing there going, no, you don't. That's absolute. You you know how bad it is and you're trying to save face on this and um rather than just kind of coming to the table and saying look it's going to be real bad and here are some viable ways that you can protect yourself or um mitigate your risk um you know they're kind of just treating people like they're statistics and, and kind of just leaving you to fend for yourself and it's really um it's really disappointing to see that and for those outlets that are emphasizing the doom and gloom you know for me um i like to i like to see solutions it's easy to point out problems right um, but what is the media doing to say, okay, this is the problem. Here's what you can do to protect yourself. And I don't see enough of that out there in the world today. Um, so it's part of, it's part of, uh, you know, what makes load such an interesting premise and where we're at as a company as well. So, um, that's, that's why I highlighted that for you. Now, wh where are you most concerned about vulnerabilities or fragilities in the economy, Nick? Like you look towards the real estate market, you look at the bond market, you look at the equities market, like you personally, um, where would you be worried about being exposed right now? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the markets are are overinflated um, for certain. Uh, being a Canadian myself, you're no uh, stranger to the uh, to the real estate market here, and I think we're we're long overdue for a correction. We're already seeing those interest rates rise, uh, and a lot of people, you know, even with meaningful salaries above two hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars, can struggle to make payments on properties. You know, um, you know, I just bought a house, and the mortgage rate is going up to to beyond five percent, um, which is which is pretty wild. We've benefited from low rates um for a long long time now for sure but um realistically the 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 cost of the housing during those times where those rates were higher were significantly smaller too so you know uh you know 15 or 10 percent on on a hundred thousand dollars versus a million dollars that's a huge difference and what does that mean for the working class individual right so uh i think we're going to be coming to bear with a lot of this uh really quickly and it's it's it could mean that a lot of people are over leveraged so I, I've got my eye on that. Um, other things that I'm seeing in the market right now is um, real disruption in the supply chain uh, for a number of different industries, oil and gas being the mo among the most uh, prevalent of it. I'm sure you're aware of that EPOC meeting that happened where they basically said, hey, we're going to intentionally slow down the amount of oil that we sell into the market uh, so that we can intentionally drive up the price. Um, you know, companies are seeing record profits, uh, and despite that, they're they're still just continuing to drag up the prices. So there's a lot of fragility in our in our economy right now that um, you know nobody has the answers to. But it is really concerning to see this all play out in in sort of slow motion. So backing up, I want to talk about that for sure. Uh, but walking back to real estate for a second, so I agree with you, and you know, I'm very curious about how this will play out. I also just recently picked up a piece of property uh, here in Squamish. It's a rental unit. Uh, seller was in distress. I made a lowball offer, you know, and it went through. So just surprised me. Squamish has been such a red hot market. I don't think anything sold at asking, let alone under in a long time. And, and I made a bit of a controversial decision. I actually sold some gold to raise the cash to uh, put a bit of dough down, which kind of breaks one of my rules. And then I wrote myself a promissory note to pay back the gold by January 1st with um, X, X gold ounces and fees to myself, which is kind of a fun exercise and restates the value of being your own bank. We can talk about that. But you know, I think like 70% of new mortgages over the last 12 months were variable in Canada, which is scary, right? If you expected rates to remain where they were at through 2021, right? So what do you think occurs there? Like, are you, and I'm not asking for a hard prediction, Nick, because I don't believe in those, but like, would you speculate there's going to be a handful of a significant number of defaults um, or some sort of a sell-off in order to raise capital or what, what's the consequences of um, an overlevered Canadian real estate ownership population? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely do see a lot of defaults um, beginning to take place okay. and because people are over leveraged and um one of the other things that we're beginning to see in the real estate market is that there's lots of uh, more institutional investors um you know not not individuals or even retail um real estate investors but like you know conglomerates coming in and buying up whole swaths of property and redeveloping communities and um you know uh there's i can't remember where this quote was it's like you'll own nothing and you'll love it <laughs> you know yeah you'll, you'll own nothing and be happy yeah yeah right um yeah. Can't remember the the where that came from, but World Economic I think, Forum, I believe. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but but to that point, you know, it's it does have that sort of like element and air to it when I look at what's taking place right now because we are seeing that money start to move up into Canadian real estate. And what does that mean for you and me as average people or for the first time home buyer? Like it, it means that it's just all the more out of reach because how are you supposed to compete with these massive developers? You can't yeah. have the power. 
right? No, 100%, 100%. You know, what's interesting about that is like, uh, when you look at the real estate debate, it's been a debate, I grew up in Vancouver, and, and it's been a debate in Vancouver for my entire life, right? How are we going to fix the housing crisis? And I know this is like a bipartisan issue that everybody seems to agree with. We need to fix the housing crisis and the crisis being real estate is too expensive. That's what it seems to be. I always find myself standing in these rooms going, what are you guys talking about? Like, look out a window. This city is gorgeous, 360 degrees. It's surrounded by water on three sides. It's more or less an island. And the whole world can move here. Our immigration policies are super lax. So why would real estate here be cheap, right? And I know that's an isolated event, but then we see more inventory hit in the street. And most of the time, it's people like you or I that own a house already and you can borrow against the equity to buy a rental unit in that new condo building. It's rarely the first time home buyers. Um, so yeah, I get the development argument as well. Now, are you looking cross country, Nick? Like when you, and how much do you focus on the real estate market? Are you looking sort of province via province or just in your local hometown? Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I try not to speculate too hard on other regions. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm more than welcome to, but I like to base my opinions on what I know. And what I know in BC is, is Vancouver and when I, uh, you know, in the Kelowna region where I live. So, um, you know, that's, that's where all my opinions are, are really coming from. Um, but it, you put, you brought up a really interesting point there, you know, uh, why, why wouldn't real estate prices be high? Absolutely. Freaking lutely. I agree with that. Um, I, you know, we live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And this is why I actually don't foresee, despite interest rates rising, prices actually moving down in the market all that much. Mm -hmm. We might see a blip. We might see a blip, but I think on as long as Canada continues to be a desirable place for people to immigrate, to live, uh, for people to 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 occupy, you know, in terms of space and property, that that value is going to continue to rise. And I think, um, you know, with the things that we're seeing right now in, in Europe and a lot of other regions of the world, like in the Ukraine, like there's there's all the more reason why Canada looks like an attractive place. It does. Yeah. Now my audience is going to push back on that point and I know what they're going to say. So let's answer the question. They're yeah. going to say, yeah, it's an attractive place because it's always been a safe haven for capital. Say you live in mainland China, you made a bit of dough, you're concerned about what your government might do to you one day. So you park a million dollars without a $2 million in a Vancouver condo, right? It's a, it's a safe money garage. And that I wouldn't say is the driving force, but it contributes right to inflated property costs. And my, my subscribers are going to say, and look what Trudeau did during the convoy. He showed that the Canadian government can, with no debate, confiscate financial assets, showing the world that it's no longer a safe haven for money. Do you think that's an overblown, dram dramatized statement? Or do you think there's some validity that precedent's been set now and that we are moving towards a world of more centralized control and, and affirmative action like this? What do you think? I mean, a little column A, a little column B, like I'll, I'll establish right now, I think, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of Trudeau. Um, I, owning Real Estate Canada is always funny because you never actually own it. The Crown can reclaim it at any time. Um, so nice. never really owned it in the first place. Um, and that's and, and believing that is a misnomer. So I'm not operating under the illusion that this is somehow a new precedent. It's just the first or among the first times that we've seen it in modern history being enacted upon, which came as a big shock because we were all sort of sleeping on that fact or were comfortable in our settings and we weren't used to these kinds of things. Um, so I'm not operating under this idea that this is some crazy new thing that's happened here. Um, I, I kind of always operated under the assumption that if the government of your country wants to take something from you, they will, and they will come up with any garbage excuse. And I don't think that is unique to Canada. I don't think that's the, unique to the United States, Russia, China, anywhere, anywhere in this world. So I, I don't think you're ever really safe from, from a massive government.
That's Can just- I ask? Yeah, no, that's I, I love that point. And I tend to agree with you, man. The reason that I started this YouTube channel was to hunt down personal sovereignty um, in protection of those worst case scenarios. So I got to ask, like, is that part of the inspiration for you to um, start a project like Load and maybe share what you're working on there? But I, I'm curious what drove you towards a gold and silver backed cryptocurrency? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great question to ask. Personal sovereignty is huge for me as well. And most of Load's environment is non-custodial for those of you out there who are crypto investors uh, and who know what that means. Um, You know, in a nutshell, the whole cryptocurrency movement more or less started out as a as a um, I don't want to say rebellion, that's the wrong word to use, but sort of uh, uh, a statement that there are other ways of facilitating finance and money, and it doesn't have to be controlled by this small small conglomerate of people, right? Um, that's where that whole concept of decentralization really played in. And so um, it was a way to give people more autonomy over their cash and cut out intermediaries. And in that sense, you know, Lode was really inspired by that. I'm not the project founder. I have been with the project for four and a half years, though, and, um, you know, oversee pretty much all of the operations. And at its core, Lode is an initiative to restore silver and gold to the monetary system, right? Um, We have seen in modern history that when we have our currency back, backed by precious metals. And I know that you're a gold bug. So this makes sense to you, right? That, that you know, you have this hedge against inflation, uh, you have more stability, um, there's all these advantages to holding precious metals. Uh, and so we know this works, we're going through periods of inflation, we used to think we were insulated from this hyperinflation that we saw in other countries, but you've seen how much the inflation rate has been in Canada, um, even in the United States, lots of developed nations around the world are now seeing this instability. So it's really making the case that silver and gold money um, has value in today's economic um, environment and and blockchain is the vehicle to make that happen right and you know with with these with these assets we design them in such a way where they're secure no government actually has the ability to claim and seize these assets because not only is the token itself built on decentralized protocols but the gold and silver as well is also distributed across the world on over eight different vaults right um, meaning that uh, there would have to be one heck of a coordinated uh, operation. I would be thoroughly impressed if it, if there was any uh, capability by by a central government to come in and, and seize all of these assets. We have the ability to be nimble and to pull in and out of regions where it makes sense, right? And that is all to say that um, you, the individual who holds our digital silver, our AGX coin or our AUX coin, um, you know, you can have the comfort that you know your assets are yours. Load can't move them. Load can't do anything with them, uh, and you have the right to redemption to them at your will. So, I'll put it back over to the uh, to you there, Jay. But um, you know, it, it, personal personal autonomy is huge and fundamental to the core of what Load is about. Okay, yeah, I do want to dive into the mechanics a little bit more and understand it better myself. Um, I love how you started with autonomy, and um, I know that that argument's probably increasing in value, especially as we're going to probably see the rollout of central bank issued digital currencies, which among other things, and my audience shits on me for saying, I'm not worried about the privacy breach that's going to occur because I think that ship has sailed a long time ago. Uh, you might agree with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, long time ago. Yeah. If you have a Google account, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Apple, forget it, but whatever it is, what it is. Yes, probably you can go a layer deeper with the CBDC. I'm not arguing that, but we handed that one over already. But it's the loss of autonomy over your wealth that does concern me. 
You know, we have digital ledgers, but it's fiat currency. You can't program that money to behave a certain way like you could with a CBDC to expire at a certain time or have geographic incentives or some kind of a social credit system uh, ingrained into it. You know, we know the dystopian uh, arguments. I, I get it. So I think the argument for uh, for more autonomy of your cash is only increasing and people are understanding why. So explain to me for, I'm a, I'm a basic crypto, uh, I would say investor, speculator. I don't know. I mean, I, a dollar cost average into Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and a handful of other coins that I understand the utility of, right? But I, I don't really uh, go deeper than that. And so for, for somebody like myself, what's the difference, Nick, between owning Bitcoin for the reasons that, that I would, right? In a uh, you know, an off-grid form of wealth that I can transact with and store wealth versus versus load, right? Like what, what are the differences and how do they compare? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, load has a series of different assets, right? We do have our commodity-backed stable coins, which are designed for currency and for trade and con commerce and for, for the preservation of, of long-term wealth. And um, I, I'm a believer in Bitcoin as well. And if you want to store value in Bitcoin, uh, go for it. Absolutely. Um, but I don't think it makes an effective currency for one, unless you're using the Lightning Network, it's exceedingly slow. Um, most people don't own a Bitcoin and are not really that like I'm talking about grandma going to the grocery store here. If you said I have 0 0.003 Satoshis, she's not going to know what that means. Right. And so when it comes to a merchant or a business trying to price their business model, it, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense as a, as a vehicle. You know, we're decided for a load and it's uh, collateralized stable coins are designed for for speed and efficiency. And we use small denominations of gold and silver like our AUX, our digital gold is one milligram of gold versus lots of other gold backed projects in the market out there, which actually go to the ounce level because it's easier to deal with whole numbers than it is to deal with fractions for most people. And and so I, I think of Bitcoin as an excellent long term investment as a, as a store of value. But you also can't screw with the history that um that gold has for itself that silver has for itself you know in terms of that in terms of that wealth preservation i don't see them as competitive like you'll see on a lot of uh media interviews out there um you know there will come a time where you need to take profits and my question is why are you putting why are you taking your profits in um in something like usdc or a central bank uh digital currency which is really just putting lipstick on a pig right it's 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 the same economic system with a new coat of paint on it and and doesn't really solve for the inflationary crises that we see so why are you putting uh your assets your winnings into something like the usdc which you know is going to depreciate year over year when you can put it into gold treat it like cash and only convert to a central bank currency when you need to convert to a central bank currency that to me seems like a way more effective way to build wealth for myself. So these are just a couple of the key points here that I think, um, you know, make uh, loads of assets, um, you know, work in tandem or in parallel with Bitcoin rather than sort of uh, either or scenario, you know, it's not a zero sum game in my opinion. Okay. Now you mentioned eight vaults around the world um, mm -hmm. and just basic. So one AUX coin equals one milligram of gold, mm -hmm. correct? One AGX coin equals what one gram of silver. one gram of silver okay and then how are you okay so how are you uh talking about how how a, somebody like me would engage with load then how do i how do i begin acquiring and and interacting yeah i mean a great great question to ask you know we are 
uh, in the DeFi space as well. So if you are a more a little bit more uh, into cryptocurrencies and trading, you can find us on uh, DEXs that are based on Avalanche. That's the blockchain we're built on. But uh, if you're not, if you're just uh, somebody who likes to dip their toes and you just want access to, you know, safe and autonomous uh uh, digital gold and silver, then you can download our mobile app, what we call the Load App Wallet, which is a non-custodial wallet, and uh, download it like you would any other app. And from there, we have a whole bunch of different payment methods for you to come in and start buying that digital gold and silver. And um, moving into the to the first quarter of um, 2023, we're going to have a uh, card program, an international card program available, so that you can actually just go to the grocery store and pay for goods and services uh, anywhere, anywhere Visa MasterCard is accepted with your gold or with your silver. So um, okay. we tried our best to make it as easy for people to get in as possible. And is that a partnership with Visa MasterCard or how does that operate? Sure. I mean, without going too deep into the weeds of, of creating a credit card program, there are um, program providers that are licensed partners with MasterCard. Uh, and or visa and and we work through them to um we work through them to facilitate um the card program right so they have the license to to issue cards uh and to to operate with visa and mastercard and our responsibility is to be that that um that intermediary that that takes in the gold and silver and allows it to be liquidated for the fiat currency that the merchant on the other end of the arrangement needs to be paid out in right so we we are essentially that middleware and but you know, you, the consumer, you don't need to worry about any of that sort of technology. It's as easy as using your debit card today or your uh, credit card today. You just go to the core of the store, you swipe, you pay, and it takes off of your gold and silver balance, what you're owed in that local currency. If you were to speculate, Nick, on how we will transact day-to-day -day purchases, like going to the store 10 years down the road, go mm -hmm. 20 if you want to, um, you know, what, what will be different about how I would go and do my grocery shopping? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Um, I think there will be those who um, are really invested in our in our personal autonomy and our wealth and not the way that we go to pay for things will be incredibly diverse. Um, you've already begun to see this in, in sort of uh, big crypto exchanges like crypto.com where um, they have cards that'll pull on your Bitcoin and do like that. Like the future, uh, the future of wealth is is entirely tokenized. I do believe that tokenized securities, tokenized commodities, tokenized real estate, tokenized everything uh, is is really where I see when I talk to institutional um, clients and I talk to you know hedge funds and uh, you know, banks and and seeing where they're investing. There's so much effort being put in right now in this idea of of, of tokenizing um, your wealth. And so I think that in the future, people's what and not and we we buy a basket of assets today. You know, you own some real estate, you own some stocks, you own all of this, but they kind of live in in disparate systems. They don't all play nicely with each other. Real estate is very slow and arduous and uh, more paper paper oriented versus something like crypto, which is digital and fast and instantaneous. In the future, I think people are going to be holding a basket of assets in a digital format, and this will be everything from real estates to commodities to gold and silver to cryptocurrency, straight up and where it will be different is that you will actually be able to pull on this this pool of assets to make uh, payments uh, more readily and more easily uh, than you can uh, today, where it's, you know, essentially all of our assets work in disparate systems that aren't really aligned. If you want to pull value out of your real estate, you have to sell the property or you have to uh, leverage the property to 
do that it requires a lot of collaborations with banks. In the future, you might be able to just own a fractional tokenized portion of some real estate, liquidate that on a market, and then put that on a, on a debit and credit card. So that's how I think um, you'll see some major transitions in the way that people manage their wealth and make payments. Now, that might be for a more advanced audience like your, like your community or people like you and me who have our nose sort of uh, keenly um, to the ground. And but, um, you know, for the for the average consumer who will likely still use banks, um, these banks will and are already adopting these practices. So while you might hold uh, central bank digital currency in your bank account on the back end, how the bank is managing its wealth and uh, it's what it's invested in, it will all be through tokenized assets as well. So I see that as kind of the major change. But uh, realistically, for a consumer, um, blockchain and, and tokenized technology needs to get to the point where you are no longer thinking about how the technology works. Yeah. Uh, and once we overcome overcome that hump, that's when you're going to see this the the widespread adoption that you see the fanatics in blockchain really really start to talk about. You know, your your grandma doesn't want to think about how her debit and credit card works. She just wants to know when she goes to the store, she taps, it's done. Right. Yeah. And, and and it never even crosses her mind. And if you were to ask the average person how to how to visa payment rails work, they wouldn't be able to tell you. Right. Because no. because the technology is so user friendly and intuitive, uh, it's not really relevant. And so that's the other uh, migration that we're working towards that I see taking place is the technology will become so easy and simple to use that you won't even need to think about it. Or maybe in many circumstances, even realize that you're using that type of technology. Which will occur. I mean, that's, yeah, you mentioned uh, Visa, you get internet protocol. I don't need to know how internet protocol works to understand the value of sending and sharing information. I know, I want to know what it does and how it engages with my life, not not how it functions behind the scenes. And I agree, eventually blockchain technology will probably be like wallpaper just surrounding the infrastructure of our lives, but very much out of sight and out of mind, the functionalities we'll engage with. So Forgive me, this is a juvenile question, but so as we're tokenizing our wealth, you're essentially saying that I could be in a place where my real estate equity, equity so right now you're right, it's uh, very, very decentralized, I suppose, and that my real estate equity is over here, my securities are over here, my cash is over here, my gold is buried somewhere else. I, If this were all tokenized, right, then I could transact, right, holistically with my bucket of wealth, whether it's whether that wealth is composed of real estate equity, um, equities market, cash, gold, whatever. We've now pooled this into one little uh, pile that I can then buy a Snickers bar with if I choose to. Correct? Exactly. And this is, yeah, I mean, right. extremely succinctly. And that's and, and that's something that Load is actually working towards, right? We Got have it. so many different strategic partnerships um, moving on right now, everything from gaming to carbon credits to uh, securities to uh, gold and silver and real estate, all of those, you know, and so if you can have one holistic center for all of this and for your wealth management, um, I think that's a really attractive premise for a lot of people, something that that uh, could make a, a huge improvement in the way that we govern our wealth. Yeah, yeah, it does simplify things. Okay, got it. And, uh, you know, I can see that going either way, if you could really... Uh, ease the process of borrowing against your home, people would also do it way more often, probably to their own detriment. It's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. 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 Interesting. All right. What's the downside, Nick? So load doesn't work. What about that? What's the downside, you know, talking about society, right? If we do seed control to whatever direction our central bankers go with our currency, you know, what does life look like? 
uh i think i think we already said that way back at the beginning you will own nothing and you will be happy you know <laughs> i can't really put it uh more clear clearly than that um you know and i don't i don't have a crystal ball um you know i can't i can't really foresee um how it will all ultimately play out in the end and i think that you know for for the large for the large part much of this sort of dystopian narrative that we're talking about is all is already happening it happens it's it happens very slowly kind of like how we gave up our data and our privacy right um yeah. you know, facebook was so exciting everybody was using it it will become so essential to functioning in society that that you will either ostracize yourself or or you will cave into the the pressure that's that's the worst case scenario environment you know if i could go a little star trek for a minute here and speak in a little more optimistic sense whether or not load works ultimately in the end as a project there is an entire movement in the web3 space to sort of reclaim some of our ownership not just with our our capital but with your data and your information and your time and your energy as well for example um you know lots of uh lots of decentralized applications allow you to get compensated for the usage of your data or um you know you have the ability to only interface with the act with the with the aspects of a decentralized application that you want to engage with mm -hmm. right and so that kind of premise is is more um to the core of what the web3 movement is really all about and so <clears throat> again whether or not whether or not load ultimately succeeds there is this massive community and growing community of people who are creating these tools uh financial tools resources applications that kind of invert that web2 model that that big tech facebook model on its head and i'm really excited to see that future and what that looks like i am too yeah i love that all right nick where can we point people to if they want to learn more about what you're building at load yeah absolutely so uh if you just want to check out load you can head over to load.one l-o-d-e dot o-n-e um that's our website. We have a great community uh, support staff uh, who are ready and available to have a real human conversation with you. We try to stay away from the bots as much as possible. From there, you can find all of our social channels and makes it really easy to connect. Um, I will say that, you know, we're a really friendly community of people. There's over 13,000 of us worldwide in over 166 countries. Um, you know, come reach out, ask questions, um, and, and we don't bite, I promise. So uh, looking forward to, to meeting some of you guys. And, and thank you so much again, Jay, for having me. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.